This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jack Calicut, CFO of Galectin Therapeutics, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 333. why customers choose the company or the reasons why they leave the company. The, the analysis of the data is giving CFOs the information they need to impact change uh, in their companies. If they're not, if that's not part of their culture, if they're content with historical reporting, um, they never get there. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Ian Charles, CFO of Host Analytics. Ian today enjoys a coveted seat alongside the renovations of numerous finance functions that are busy adopting Host Analytics enterprise performance management software. Along the way, he's become an astute observer of finance's evolutionary path and how CFO leadership is required now more than ever. We speak to Ian after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Jack, it's Ian Charles calling. How are you? Hey, Ian. Thanks for the time. Hello, we're speaking with Ian Charles, CFO of Host Analytics. Now, we first, uh, Ian first joined us during our second season of CFO Thought Leader. We're pleased he accepted our invitation uh, to come back and join us once again. Ian, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for having me. Ian, of course, is arguably one of the more visible finance leaders in the tech sector today, and for good reason. As many of you may know, Host Analytics is a SaaS software developer that has a suite of enterprise performance management applications. And so Ian is not only a CFO, he is also his company's (laughs) chief applications user, I suppose. And he is today tasked with making his organization move faster and adapt more quickly. Uh, Now, Ian, we typically begin by asking our guests to identify uh, those milestones that had helped prepare them for a finance leader role, and since we already sort of did that with you on the earlier episode, we thought we'd take a different tact and begin by asking you, 
what type of experience was perhaps not necessarily acquired along the traditional path to becoming a CFO of years past, but it's the type of experience that you now view as more essential for future CFOs? What, what comes to mind when I ask that question? It's a great question, Jack. I think the experience that I would, I would speak to is the, the one in which you put the nuts and bolts together. So the traditional track of becoming a CFO is very much accounting and, and in some cases um, finance and, and FP&A focused. The non-traditional is the ability to, to connect the dots, the nuts and bolts that I'm speaking about in terms of the operations of a business. Um, that experience uh, came to me when I was in uh, corporate development for AOL Time Warner identifying businesses and looking at the synergies between uh, AOL Time Warner as well as uh, the target uh, acquisitions. But then understanding how the two could come together, the complexities of making that happen, the whole experience of being able to operationalize um, acquisitions gives you insight into why companies fail, why they succeed, where the leverage points are, uh, and then be able to eliminate the weaknesses in that combination and focus on the strengths. And that hands-on experience, I think, is invaluable for tomorrow's CFO. Now, just uh, touching upon that experience you mentioned, did you have a seat alongside uh, that, that merger? I didn't have a seat alongside the merger. Um, I certainly um, was actively involved in one of the lines of businesses at AOL Time Warner, so I could see it happening um, from the inside, but I, I was not one of the uh, senior execs uh, at the time. In fact, it was very early on in my career um, that I was, I was there, but that kind of experience created the foundation to then go on to various aspects of banking as well as being an entrepreneur myself and learning from uh, the creation of scar tissue and those experiences that also built upon that prior experience at AOL Time Warner, that of which I've leveraged into the current uh, role of CFO at Host. You, you mentioned scar tissue earlier. Uh, I, I mean, it's fair to say that, uh, by and large, that merger was widely viewed as a failure? Yeah. I would, I would, I, I would, um, I'd say you're correct in that, in that, um, that point of view. It was a failure. Um, it failed to capitalize on um, the combination or the connections between the two firms. Um, whether it was the renewals of the subscriber base at uh, Time Warner um, automatically happening because they were capturing credit cards at AOL, or the creation of walled content or walled gardens of content as they referred to uh, during the, the merger. None of that actually came to fruition um, to create the kind of proposed value that they were pitching during the deal. And, and, and I think uh, if you looked at the, at the uh, merger as it was happening and certainly post, you could see the writing on the wall with the number of shares that were being sold by the larger insider holders. Um, they also got it, um, uh, that it wasn't going to come to fruition. It was ultimately going to be a failure. 
Um, so I, I couldn't agree with you more. In retrospect, I think you're right in that most people look at that as um, not bearing the fruit that it was originally proposed to, to bear. Now, before we uh, continue with our interview, I wanted to um, find out if there's a milestone or two that you can share in regards to host analytics. And I know you've been there a number of years now. Um, so, but during your tenure, what uh, would be some of the uh, perhaps growth milestones that you could share with us today? Um, you know, during, during my tenure at the organization, we have grown the business uh, five times. Um, I've been there approximately four years. And so um, we are five times larger now than, than the day that, that I got there. Um, which is impressive. Um, Do you share an employee uh, number? Or, uh... We have approximately 300 employees worldwide, um, and while we haven't grown the employee base by um, the same magnitude as we have the, the revenues and the size of the business, um, we have grown. We've approximately doubled the, the employee size uh, of the business. Your original interview with us, uh, we realized how – very much customer focused uh, you envision the role of the CFO being I hope I'm characterizing that correctly um, since then we've had a, a good number of uh, different CFOs talk to us and it seems like in increasing numbers CFOs from not just uh, the tech sector necessarily but outside the tech sector as well are becoming more focused on the customer what's what's happening to the CFO role the CFO role is evolving to to be more operational, more uh, in tune with the needs and the requirements of the customer base. I'm in an especially unique position in that we sell directly to the Office of Finance, and in most cases, the CFO is the ultimate buyer um, for our product. Uh, I'm also in a unique position because I use the product that we sell to the Office of, of Finance. But in general, you're correct. The CFO has become more customer-focused. They're looking at the interactions between uh, the, the business and the customer more closely. They're looking at metrics like what is the lifetime value of this customer. They're looking at that in, in relation to what's the cost of acquiring that customer. They're looking at reasons as to why customers choose the product as well as why customers reject the product and ultimately churn. And then taking a very deep dive into reducing the reasons why customers leave and increasing why the customers choose to, to purchase the product. Lifetime value of the customer. Um, curious to learn how you've calculated that over time. If the formula has remained intact or are you routinely modifying it as you learn more? Yeah, I would I would reject the notion that we're modifying it. Um, the it, there is a certain amount of um, uh, variability in terms of uh, how co companies calculate that, but if you get too far off the reservation, it um, it doesn't work. I mean, one over your your churn rate um, is your lifetime uh, uh, estimate of your of your customer. Um, you multiply that uh, times the gross margin, and then you multiply that times the the um, the ASP, the average selling price, and and that is your lifetime value um, calculation. 
there are other ways to arrive at that same formula, but if you get too far uh, astray of that, um, most people would disagree with, with the calculation and, and argue that you're not calculating it properly. Uh, when it comes to the boardroom, is this a, a metric that's discussed there today? It, it is. The, the boardroom uh, in a company like Host is filled with a fair amount of analysis on the quarter, and that analysis includes metrics like lifetime value, the CAC ratio, um, your various different forms of churn, um, the net retention rate, the percent of upsell that your current customers um, um, are showing. Um, yes, today's boardroom is uh, looking at these metrics, particularly in boardrooms of SaaS companies um, that, that live and die by uh, the proper management of these, these metrics and unit economics. Has any one metric uh, begun to gain greater attention uh, over the, uh, your tenure there at Host? Is there one metric in particular you believe has, you know, people are watching more closely? Well, the, the most important driver of future growth, future shareholder value, is the creation of new annual recurring revenues. Um, that's, that's pretty much the, the, um, the, the, the number one uh, metric in the room. Uh, everything flows from there. If you're, not, if you're not creating enough new ARR to put in the bucket, um, you're starting from a disadvantage. Um, you know, every customer or company um, has some level of churn, um, some for reasons they can control, some for reasons they can't control. But at the end of the day, if more water is falling out of the bottom of the bucket than is being put in the top of the bucket, um, the, the business is, is um, it's not going to succeed as, as well as others that are putting a lot more new ARR in the, in the top of the bucket. So the, the, the number one metric is, is the creation of new annual recurring revenues. Okay, so for those finance leaders out there who reside in organizations that are just beginning to become forward-looking organizations or aspire to become forward-looking organizations, and to date they've been great with the historical data, but how do they become more uh, customer-centric? Where do they begin? Is there a metric that you would identify as, you know, here, start with this one? What would you tell us? So, Jack, that's a hard question to answer ac across a wide range of industries um, because um, every business is different uh, in terms of what their drivers are and what their um, their number one uh, metric is that they should be focusing on. So it's it's almost an impossible question to, to <laughs> answer. I agree. I agree. But you know what I'm getting at? Um, again, we have uh, listeners in all these other industries, and how do we make our discussion with you uh, more relevant to them? Because so much of, uh, again, the SaaS realm is so unique in certain ways. At the same time, it's influential in so many ways. So anyway, that's what I'm trying to uh, figure out, Ian, is. And I imagine um, there have been some interesting, uh, you know, uh, sort of, uh, how do I say it, traditional finance functions that have stepped up and invested in these applications, and suddenly they're beginning to look at their business very differently. And while they're not SaaS companies themselves, 
They're enjoying the visibility, and they're adopting metrics that maybe they, they couldn't have before they had your software. Is, is that accurate or no? Is that Oh, it's absolutely accurate. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't characterize it as a metric. I characterize it as the culture um, in the organization. And there are some finance groups that um, are content with looking off the back of the ship and reporting the historical results. And there are some finance organizations, groups, that are very proactive in understanding the operations, again, back to my original comment, the nuts and bolts of the business, the granularity of whether it's the revenue base um, or the, the, the reasons why customers choose the company or the reasons why they leave the company. The, the analysis of the data is giving CFOs um, the information they need to impact change uh, in their companies. If they're not, if that's not part of their culture, if they're content with historical reporting, um, they never get there. They never understand or, or, or see the value in an in a enterprise performance man management platform like the one at Host. And does that begin, that culture change in part, of course, the CFO clearly has to be a primary driver uh, to take that historic data producing company and force it to look forward. Um, I, I'm just curious what they have in common, those who, are, who have been able to change culturally. Is it a CFO champion? Is it a CEO champion? Is it a, you know, a mobilized board? I, I've seen it start from a number of different starting points. I've seen it come from the bottom up. I've seen a very proactive finance group or FP&A group sell it to the CFO and say, this is the kind of, of technology we need to, to get visibility into the business, to understand it, to plan properly, to change our, our course in terms of where we're allocating resources. I've seen groups bring it from the bottom up. I've also seen CFOs bring it from the top down through their organizations. And I've also seen varying degrees of how far they've taken it. Some of our customers are very centralized in their decision-making process. And, and keep the information, the reporting, and the planning to a very small number of people. That doesn't necessarily mean they're getting more or less out of the value the platform delivers, but their culture is to keep it very centralized. And I've seen it the other way around as well. I've seen uh, the, the, the culture be very much a, of a team sport environment where we, you have many, many participants across the entire organization involved in the planning and the forecasting um, of, of the business. And, and just, it, it again speaks to what is the culture in the organization in terms of how do they want to use information, how do they want to share information, and, and that's the most important starting point that any of the customers that you're referring to have in common. Now, from your observation, what are the areas of collaboration that you see in place? Is it between finance and IT? It's finance and operations, clearly. Are there key areas of collaboration, I guess, that exist? It's not just the finance functions decided to do this, and therefore it's going to succeed. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, there needs to be some collaboration between finance and the various departments. Um, we do that internally at Host. We create uh, business partners that are financial analysts that sit in finance that 
directly interface with each department. And it's almost as if each department has their own general manager sitting in finance that allows them to navigate the decisions that they have to make, whether that's compensation decisions, whether that's planning decisions, um, whether that um, the, the, the kinds of, of planning that takes place in the departments is not disconnected from finance as a result. And, and that's really a very important step when you've got departments um, calculating um, projections on a spreadsheet that finance doesn't uh, either have access to um, or isn't connected to the overall company plan, um, you often wind up with surprises. So those business relationships, those partnerships I'm describing, the analysts that work with the departments, is a very um, uh, important connection point to make sure that the entire organization is moving in the same direction. Now, are those analysts, uh, do they report uh, upward into finance, but are, are they also somehow dotted line to the departments? Yeah, I would describe it as a dotted line to the department and a, a, a direct report to finance. Okay, so as someone who had uh, a number of earlier uh, tours of duty as a CFO, what is the change that you feel has occurred with the role over time as you uh, reflect on the role you play today? So I, what's changed is uh, I've, I've gathered what I would describe as a fair amount of scar tissue along the way. Um, they say that your best teacher is your last mistake. And uh, I've tried to take the experiences, both good and bad, over the years and apply that to the decisions we make today. Um, and, and, and that's been uh, you know, a huge uh, part of my success. What worked well for me in building uh, businesses of my own um, has helped me um, uh, enormously in, in helping other entrepreneurs build their businesses, working with those boards, those management teams, those experiences I had uh, over the years, both good and bad. Um, have, have greatly affected uh, the kind of approach I take today. Um, I try and figure out how do you make uh, it work versus just a, um, a broad sweeping uh, no because of um, budget restrictions. It's a question of problem solving um, that, that has become very, very important and, uh, and is something that, that um, has helped me a lot. I wonder what is the if there's a personal habit or a sort of regiment that you have that you bring to uh, the role of a finance leader. What is it uh, that's sort of top of mind with you as a leader? So I think um, overly uh, communicating is something that is um, critically important. Um, it, often, when communication takes place between two people or many people, um, what's being said is not exactly what's being heard. And reiterating um, the message, um, clarifying the message, and again, overly communicating is something that um, I think um, is core to, to uh, my success. Uh, and that may start with something as simple as checking email first thing in the morning to understand what has happened um, if you have a global organization that needs uh, to be addressed um, in the next couple of hours, making good use of, of uh, dead time uh, during my day. Uh, for example, my commute 
um, in, in that kind of communication effort um, is important. And then you get into the day itself where the meetings that you hold with either your direct reports or your team should be designed around the communication of what are the priorities today, what goes on the back burner, um, where are the roadblocks or the bottlenecks um, um, that exist uh, across the team today that need to be cleared. Again, it speaks to just um, um, uh, an excessive level of communication so that people are clear as to how they should proceed with their, their next steps, um, their day, their quarter, um, their year. We always uh, like to have finance leaders uh, share perhaps other aspects of their life, both inside and outside the office. Are there certain activities that give structure to your day or inform you? Are there books or what other activities might there be? I wish I had time to read. <laughs> <laughs> now you are a runner, though. Is that right? Or I, I am. I'm a, um, I'm a triathlete and I am a sailor. And so I try and, um, and take advantage of the time that I can, I can devote to those things to clear my mind and not think about um, uh, the stresses of the business world. But in many cases, it provides that uh, alone time to think things through and think about problems that exist uh, in the business and come up with potential solutions that, that the time running you know, for an hour is invaluable in, in thinking through those, uh, those issues. Thought Leader listeners, if you don't yet have a podcast habit, why not? Your smartphone, after all, has a podcast app, Try it out and take CFO Thought Leader wherever you go. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. And so we get to ask our, our final question, which is, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? What are my priorities as a finance leader? My, my number one priority is, um, is building the business and creating shareholder value and um, building on the strengths of the business and eliminating those weaknesses. So I am uh, always focused on, on that item, that item of creating uh, value for, the, uh, for, the, for our shareholders and for our owners and our employees. Um, so I would I'd say far and away that is my number one uh, priority. And I have a I have a suspicion that was your priority last year as well. <laughs> but I, so I want to see it. Is there, is there a priority that uh, has emerged uh, that that you will now be pursuing? Something that perhaps wasn't necessarily a priority last year. And I'm not trying to say it's your number one priority, but is there something that 
you've decided this is something I, I'd like to pay closer attention to, whatever it might be. Has anything come to mind? No, there's always uh, uh, there's, there's, there's always challenges to uh, running teams, um, to to growing a business, and and the most important asset of an organization like Hosts is the people, um, the, the 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 staff on the team, um, the managers at the table, um, and 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 understanding. Um, what their goals are and helping them achieve their goals um, is along the lines uh, of, of what I spoke to earlier in terms of creating value. If you can uh, work with your team and support their, uh, their personal and professional objectives, you in turn support the number one priority I mentioned, which is creating value for the shareholders um, and, uh, and the company. So, so working with the team um, is, a, is, is also an important priority. Ian Charles, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at CFOThoughtLeader.com.